You're listening to a Stones Crossing Leadership Lab podcast. This podcast was previously recorded at a Leadership Lab training here at Stones Crossing Church. You can find more information about Stones Crossing Leadership Lab at stonescrossingchurch.com. Well, um, so what we're doing today, we're talking about discipleship. And uh, what I want to do with this today, because, you know, I was— when I was asked about doing this, it was kind of this idea of like, all right, well, just help to teach us like how to disciple somebody. I was like, wow, that's a really big <laughs> topic. And a lot of it is really based on the individual person that you're discipling, right? Because, I mean, they're going to have different needs and different strengths and all that sort of stuff that you're going to be working with. Um, but it's, it's such an organic process. It's something that, that really is, is meant to be you pouring your life into someone else, you um, extending your influence into someone else's life. And that's why I think we can say that discipleship really is leadership because leadership at its core is, is influence, right? It's like, it's how we, it's, it's influencing other people. And so because leadership is influence, then what we're saying is, is that discipleship is a type of leadership. It's a type of, it's a, it's a way to say, hey, I'm going to influence your life. Uh, it's just what I put here at the top. Uh, we're going to influence their life for the sake of them knowing, loving, and obeying Christ. Like, that's the, that's the goal, right? So, yeah, what, what I want to do with this um, is just walk through how exactly discipleship is leadership, um, why, we, why we consider this to be influence. And, I, and I, what I'd love to do is just give you basically just a, just a very simple strategy of how to move forward with that as you are looking at discipling other people. Um, let me pray for us. Let's start. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much just for this time together, this chance to, to talk and to look through your word and to see what, what your word has to say about leading others towards knowing you and loving you and obeying you, God. And we pray for your guidance. Uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand your word. We pray that, uh, that you would open our, our minds and open our eyes to, to be able to receive that, to understand it, and to, uh, to apply it to our life. So Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so God has one plan for discipling other people, and that plan is you. That's, that's it. <laughs> the, the plan is the church, and, and that, is, that is us. Um, I put the wrong number in here, but it's Matthew 28 on there, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is what Jesus says, the, right, the Great Commission. Jesus came— and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go and make disciples, go out make disciples, and that disciple-making is, is really founded in teaching. What it says, baptizing, right, and teaching. Uh, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And what's awesome is, hey guys, <laughs> and what's awesome is how, uh, how God, how, how Jesus actually reminds them, hey, look, I'm with you. He gives them this promise of, of being with them through this whole process. Um, so one disciple goes and makes another disciple who makes another disciple. Um, and 
we see this over and over again in the scriptures. I, so right now in our D group, we're doing a study on the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians gives a really good example of this idea of a disciple making a disciple making a disciple. Because uh, at the very beginning of the book of Colossians, it mentions a guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras, um, he is the one that brought the gospel to the Colossian church. But Epaphras, we learn, was discipled by, uh, let's see, he was discipled by Timothy. No, um, no, he was discipled by Paul, who was a disciple of Barnabas, who was a disciple of the original apostles. So you have this, the apostles passing it down to Barnabas, passing it down to Paul, passing it down to Epaphras, who then brought it to the Colossian church. So this, this idea of passing down the gospel from one person to another. So it's this pattern that the Lord has set up for us. People, men and women, we're the ones that are supposed to spread the gospel and disciple others in this very organic way. So I gave you guys a little bit of a chart here because I want, I want you guys to, I want to be very clear about what we're talking about here when we talk about discipleship. Um, for our, uh, our purposes, discipling really encompasses two distinct actions, and this is the two blanks that are there. The first part of it is, is evangelism, but the second part of discipling, we're going to call that training, okay? And you can see that in the chart there. There's evangelism and there's training, and I, and I think that we can say that all of that is discipleship. Now, evangelism only lasts for a little while, uh, right? Uh, it lasts until conversion. But training is something that goes on our entire life until, until death. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on the, the idea of training um, and not so much on evangelism. We'll leave that up to Mitch to do later. So the first thing that we want to talk about here is the invitation. Because here, um, remember, Jesus' great commission says to go, which means that us as disciples, it is, is our job to take the initiative in that. And, in, and actually, in fact, we're reflecting Christ in that way, how he took the initiative with us. So we're, we're doing the same as we go and make disciples of all nations. And so, um, so the goal here is to invite Christians into your sphere of influence who are teachable to grow in their knowledge of and love for the Lord. All right, that's, that's the goal here. So there's a couple things that we need to do in order to identify the people that we're going to disciple. That's, that's really the first step. Um, I want to say, first of all, since we're not talking about evangelism, I am going to kind of make this case here. I, I think that their spiritual state needs to be that they are saved. And there's a reason for this. Um, I think we should only attempt long-term discipleship or discipleship training with Christians because we need the Holy Spirit in order for this to actually work, to take root in someone's life. First um, Corinthians chapter two talks about that. It says the natural person, so the nat he's making a dis distinction between the natural person and the spiritual person. So this is the non-Christian and the Christian. So he says the natural person or the non-Christian does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So I think discipleship begins with evangelism, but sometimes it also kind of has to end there uh, because people don't turn. People don't repent. People don't believe. So spiritual training, once we get into that mode, 
um, it really requires the Holy Spirit to help in the process uh, in, in, in the heart of the trainee. Um, does that, that kind of make sense? So um, when we're looking at doing this long-term discipleship training type of a thing, what we're looking for is we, we want to find people who are, first of all, um, that have the Holy Spirit, that are Christians. Okay. Um, now, I agree with what Scott's saying too, because I think sometimes you get, sometimes it's, one, it's hard to tell. Uh, we, we can't discern that all the time. And sometimes people come into a discipleship situation. Maybe it's a small group. Maybe it's a um, like a large group ministry, like, like with women's ministry, things like that, where they come in and they're like, oh yeah, like this is what I would want to do. And then they find that they didn't ever really believed in the first place and they, and they come to, to faith there. And that happens. It absolutely happens. But I think when we're talking about um, intentionally pouring your life into someone for the long term, doing that kind of training, we want them to be Christians because they need the spirit to actually understand and accept these things. Okay. Um, here's the second thing. Uh, we want to look at their sphere of inf- your sphere of influence as well. When we're looking to pick someone, we want to consider their relationship with you as well. Um, each of us has influence on other people in one way or another, right? You have your, you have your family, you have your neighbors, your coworkers, close friends, uh, and it kind of has those different spheres that are like that. Um, and we influence our children, our spouses, our friends, and our neighbors, and all that sort of stuff. But some of us have wider scope of influence than others. And we can use all of that to our, uh, to our advantage, to the advantage of the kingdom. So the real question with this is how will you use the influence that you already have? It's a great place to start. You already have influence over people in your life. So how will you use what you've been given? So this is what I want to have you do. Um, I put this little chart here where you can see these different spheres. And, I, and I'm really using a model of, of what, what Jesus did. This is out of the Master Plan of Evangelism. It's a, a book by Robert Coleman. But he talks about how we have these different uh, groups of people uh, that we are already in relationship with to a certain extent. So you might have your inner three. What this is doesn't have to be three people necessarily, but it's, it's the few people whom God has entrusted to you with these close relationships. Now, this might, be, um, this might be your family, your husband, your wife, your kids. Like, that's a great inner three. That's your, that should be your first ministry, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, it may be coworkers. It may be best friends. It may be th- those people that are just the closest to you. But then you also have your 12. Um, this is a small group of people that you are investing your time and energy into. Uh, people that you're intentionally uh, meeting with, hanging out with. Uh, good friends, things like that. Then you might have a 72. Okay, so, so what do we mean by this? These are the people who they see you, they look up to you, they listen to you, they're influenced by you, but they're kind of outside of your closest relationships. Okay? And then you might have the masses. And by this, we mean those who are watching your life and are influenced indirectly by what you say and do. So, People that just kind of see your, your witness day to day, like the, the way that you live your life day to day. So what I want to have you do just for a minute here, um, I would love just to take a few minutes for you to write down who are just a few people that fall into those categories in your life. So go ahead and just, just take a minute and uh, 
just start thinking of who are the people that fall into your inner three, your 12, your 72, and the masses. Well, let's look at the next one. Um, we're going to keep working on this a little bit, but I think that another, like a third point that we want to look for is, are they teachable? And what I mean by this is, number one, do they have an eagerness to learn? That's, that's key. Um, if they're just closed off, they're just like, um, yeah, I know everything. I'm good. You know, <laughs> then, uh, then that's not going to be helpful. Uh, but then I think it goes hand in hand with having a humility in their approach to learning. That's the second one, humility. Um, so you really want to see both. Uh, scripture really speaks to this. It says, First uh, Peter 5.5, 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There comes a point to uh, where what if someone um, does not accept this teaching anymore? Like, well, what, if, what, if, what if you tell them the gospel, you're talking with them about Jesus, and they're just like, you know, I just, I just don't believe this anymore, or I just don't, I don't buy what you're saying, or things like that. There, there has to come a point, and this is what, what Jesus tells them, is that there has to come a point where when that happens, you kind of have to walk away from that. You have to, to get away, like, you, you can keep trying to a certain extent, but there has to come a point where you have to stop. And this is in Mark 6.11. He says, And if, in, if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust that is off your feet as a testimony against them. Um, he, he's kind of saying, look, in fact, this is what I, I, I just love about this. In fact, you know, we, we were talking about this in the apologetics class, that, you know, we don't, it's not our responsibility to convert someone's heart, right? That's God's responsibility. And so our responsibility is just to be faithful to what God is asking us to do. So if we're going to, if it's evangelism, if it's, if it's discipling, we're just being faithful, we're teaching God's word, all that stuff. And if someone's just like, you know what, I, I'm out of here, I totally reject that. At some point, you just have to say, okay, like I'm, 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 I'm letting you go, I'm leaving you up to that. Because um, we can't, you know, we, we shouldn't be, it's not up to us to go and like try to beat them down and like say like, hey, you need to like accept this. <laughs> you need to follow, follow this. That's not how this works. Um, so at some point we do have to let them go. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. So a few other things to consider. I put these in your notes. Um, availability. So some t honestly, sometimes people just need to make room in their life for discipleship. And that's the first hurdle to get over. I had a really good friend um, back in Tucson. His name was Michael. And that was the first hurdle for me with him was, he was like, man, I would love to, but uh, I have no time for this. Like, I would love to be in a group, but I have no time. And um, he's a single dad. He had two kids. He was trying to, you know, he's working 11 hours a day. And so I just met with him like late at night and we just looked at his schedule and I helped him to kind of figure out a plan for, for how to, like that was the first the, like discipleship step for him was making room in his life for it. <laughs> so, um, so availability is a big deal. Gender is a big deal too. I think that the, the scriptures, especially for one-on-one -on -one, uh, discipleship relationships, um, really indicate that same gendered discipleship relationships is the biblical standard. Um, I mentioned Titus 2 here. It's a good example because that's talking about how the older women should teach the younger. Um, but I think you see that uh, across the board where men are, men are pouring into men 
and uh, women are pouring into women, okay? And I think family members too. Look, the Lord has given us family to be this, you know, long-term relationships that are built into our life. And, and our families, our, our close family, like that is our first ministry. And so I think we need to be considering that um, as being the people that we are to be ministering to, like um, spouses right out of Ephesians 5, that like we're to be ministering to one another. And parents are supposed to train their children in the Lord. So, so um, you've already spent some time thinking about who fits into these categories. Who in your sphere of influence people that you've written down, who are some people that seem to be rising to the top for you at this point? Some people that you think you might need to invite into discipleship training. I know for me, there's, uh, my neighbor has been on my heart for a long time. I have a neighbor and I found out a couple months ago that he's a, um, he's a pretty devout atheist and um, like all that stuff. And, and I was like, man, all right, we're praying. We're going to see what happens. Uh, but his wife wants really wants to start coming to church, but he's kind of like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. So I actually had a conversation with him the other day and um, he told me a little bit about why. And I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's go out to coffee sometime and let's talk about it. So we're, we have plans to go out to coffee and start talking through it all, but yeah. Well, let's go to number two really quick. Uh, number two, we're gonna talk about having clear goals. Here's the thing with discipleship is that oftentimes we could pick the right person that we're gonna be discipling, but not have any good goals <laughs> for what to do. It's like, well, maybe we'll just start reading the Bible together, or maybe we'll just start praying together, or maybe we'll just do this and that. And it's like, well, where, where are we trying to get <laughs> with all this, you know? And so what I wanna do is I wanna give you a couple goals to, to go after when you're uh, beginning this discipleship training process with somebody. This is right after, so basically what we're trying to do, this is the goal helping people to move from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. That's what we want to see. We want to help people to move from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. So Colossians 2 tells us uh, really two main goals of, of, of how, to, how to do this. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So there's two primary goals for discipleship here. The first one is to receive Christ as Lord, receive Christ as Lord. And like we talked about, this is a little bit of the evangelism piece, a little bit of the discipleship piece. It's all kind of put together. And we can talk a lot about this, um, but I just want to give you these three things. Um, historically, what the, what the church has affirmed um, is that this requires knowledge, those are the three, the three bullet points here. Requires knowledge, requires agreement with that knowledge, so just agreement or assent, and it requires trust. The basic idea is like, I'm sitting in a chair, right? We're all sitting in chairs. So like, I have a knowledge of this concept of like what a chair is, right? And so because of this knowledge of it, then I'm like, well, okay, so I understand, you know, most of them have four legs and it has a place for me to sit on and maybe some of them have a back to it and stuff like that. But then the agreement part is now I'm looking at the specific object of my faith here, okay? So the object being this chair, I'm going to look at this. I'm like, okay, well, it looks fairly sturdy. It didn't get wrecked by the students yet. It's, <laughs> you know, it's doing okay. So I'm like, okay, I, I would agree that if I sat in it, it would hold me up. 
And then the trust side of it is actually sitting in it, <laughs> right? It's actually putting my weight into it and trusting, all right, it's gonna hold me up now. Uh, faith requires all three of those things. And so receiving Christ as Lord really is, we wanna see all three of those things happen. But the second one here that Colossians is really setting out is saying that we, that we ought to walk in Christ as Lord or, or live with Christ as Lord. Okay? And, and this, is, this is a large part of the goal for, for spiritual training. Look at what 1 Timothy says. It says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. I love that. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So I think what's, what's interesting about this is he's not talking about salvation necessarily here. This is not what's going on. He's like, no, there's a training that takes place so that we learn how to please God, that we learn what, it's, what it means to live as a Christian in this world, to really live in, in light of the hope of eternity. That's what, we're, that's what we're being trained to do here and right now. And so, um, and so yeah, so Timothy really uh, stands on that there. Ultimately, what we're getting to is, is we're seeing that in everything in life, that Christ is sufficient for all of our needs, right? That he, in every situation we encounter, he meets every need. Or if we think of it inversely, that with Christ as Lord, we need nothing else. Um, and so, so that's a huge part of spiritual maturity. Colossians 2 is, a, is another one that, uh, where again, Paul is talking about this idea of what spiritual maturity might look like here. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Right? So we can just imagine all the different types of human philosophies, ideas, concepts that are in our world today. Right? He says, listen, don't let uh, this, all these philosophies of the world take you captive according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ." For in him the whole fullness of, de of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Okay. So I think spiritual maturity might be something like this. And I, I, I gave you a little definition here in that teal section down there, but it's realizing our sinful condition. It's abandoning all efforts to self-atone. It's trusting in the saving work of Christ and living every day in complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in whom all authority in heaven and on earth rests. And that's actually kind of a tall order when you think about it. <laughs> like this idea of realizing our sinful condition. I feel like I'm realizing more about my sinful condition every day, <laughs> you know, or abandoning all efforts to self-atone. Man, there's some times where I'll be in that room and I'll hear a sermon and I'm like, oh man, I've been trying to do that, haven't I? <laughs> you know, um, it's like, this is the process of our entire life. So let me ask you this, what are some attributes? Like if, if, if someone is spiritually mature following this, what are some attributes that should be present? in their life? 
What are some things that you might, you might want to see? So clear goals. Again, what we're trying to do with discipleship is helping people to receive Christ as Lord and helping people to live with Christ as Lord. And so it's helping people to kind of move, to really to move towards that. So whatever we do, whatever our strategy is, it has to follow that pattern. It's what, this is what we're trying to move them towards. So let's, let me give you a little bit of a strategy. I don't think this is the only strategy. I think this is probably the big rocks in the strategy, <laughs> but, but I think we want to, uh, you know, try to, try to keep it focused around, around these things because these are the things that we see in Scripture. Um, how do we move people from being in spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity? And the first thing that we have to say is teach the Scriptures. Teach the Scriptures. Um, that whole passage about, like, not um, falling into empty philosophy and things like that, you know, it is— it is crazy how much of that worldly philosophy <laughs> is actually being taught in churches. <laughs> um, we see it all the time. And so I think it's, um, it's always going to be best to have everything grounded in Scripture. And even when you're teaching someone, teach the Scriptures itself. Like, let's just go back to the Bible. Let's take a book of the Bible. Let's read through it. Um, things like that. That's going to be one of the best ways to do it. Look at what Second uh, Timothy says, right? We, we probably all know this verse, but it says, all Scripture is God-breathed or breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I mean, that's what we're shooting for, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. And so teach the scriptures. Start there. Um, that's, where we need to, that's where we need to spend our time. Uh, and that's where we're going to, you know, be teaching. Reproof is important, right? Correction, correcting each other. Training in righteousness is what we're talking about. So pretty, pretty self-explanatory there. Second thing, focus on the gospel. Um, look, the scriptures have one main topic— and that is Jesus, <laughs> right? Uh, if you guys were, uh, I know a few of you were here for the, um, the Brian Chapel thing that happened uh, uh, last month or two months ago when we had that. So good. And, and one of the things that he did in his, in his bigger session was he really helped us to see the importance of getting back to the gospel every single time and why that's so important for us. Um, the passages that I put there, are these are just very explicit passages where Jesus himself is telling us that the scriptures, that the Old Testament scriptures are about him. Of course, the New Testament is about him as well, because, I mean, he's all over it, right? But he's like, no, even the Old Testament, it's about me. And so the gospel then, this little definition that I, that I put here, it, this is something that— um, I, it, it's, just, it's just amazing to me that, this is, that the gospel is this powerful. The gospel, it's the power of God for salvation, right? We see that in Romans 1. It's the framework for the Christian worldview. So, so just stop there for a second. Just think about this. If, if the gospel begins with God being the creator of everything, the creator of the universe, let's say that, that's where we start. Man, that says a lot about our worldview, doesn't it? says a lot about what we think about the world, what we think about where it came from, um, what it all, who, you know, who it all belongs to, right? It also says, you go to the next step, that we're all sinners. We're all sinners and that we need the grace of God. 
That says a lot about our worldview, worldview too. We're the most predominant worldview in our culture right now is secular humanism. And what that's saying is, is that we are essentially good and we're gonna solve all of our own problems. That is the, the, the worldview that of our culture. And so for the gospel to come back and say, actually, we're all sinners in need of God's grace, man, that is, that is flying in the face in our, of our culture. So, so, so it is the framework for our Christian worldview. And then it's also the catalyst for Christian spiritual growth. It is by, by coming back to the gospel every single time, it is going to be the thing that is going to drive us more and more to want to obey God, to follow him, because we just fall more and more in love with him. The gospel changes us and shapes us so that we grow in Christ. Now, the objection is always how will focusing on the gospel actually help people to stop sinning? This is very common in like student ministry. You know, parents come in and like, I just want my son to not have sex and uh, not drink and not, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, but here's the thing. Focusing on the gospel is actually going to do a better job of that than just telling them what to do and not to do. Because what it does is it, is it shows us that our God, who loves us so much, uh, because of what he did for us, actually wants to transform us and make us into his image. You know, I can't say it any better than the way that Brian Chappell said it, actually, so I'm just going to repeat what he said. Uh, he said this. He said, look, why do we sin? Why do we sin? We sin because we love it. We sin because we love it. And so what we need is a bigger love. We need a bigger love than our sin. So coming back to the gospel is going to be a more powerful motivator towards obedience. It's even more than a motivator. I mean, it transforms us. But, but, but man, that's going to be a much more powerful message than, hey, just make sure you don't do this and don't do that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so teach the scriptures, focus on the gospel. I think setting an example is a big part of this too. We see this all over the scriptures as well. Our example speaks volumes to those who are watching us. First uh, Timothy 4.12, right? Uh, he's talking to Timothy, his student. He's saying, let no one despise you for your youth. Or the NIV, I love the NIV version. It says, um, let, let no one look down on you because you are young. Um, it's like the youth ministry like theme song right there. Uh, so, uh, but he says, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Or like, look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Like our job as disciplers, part of it is to set an example for them that we're, we're trying to, as best as we can, to emulate Christ. Um, and so we can, we can, we should be doing that as well. So let me ask you this. How has, let's go back to this idea of the gospel. How has the gospel been the catalyst for your own spiritual growth? Where have you seen growth in your life because of the gospel? I know in my life, uh, it was about, um, it was about eight years ago when I really started to, to catch some of the, it was just crazy. I, I've been working in churches for like, 20 years. And it was only until about eight years ago that I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I should focus on the gospel. 
So, um, <laughs> so, so I started to do that, and I started to read more. I started to um, listen to some podcasts, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, like the gospel started to open up my mind to all of these different things about who God is, about who I am, about, about what's going on in the world, about how he's saving us. I mean, it was, it was just this incredible thing. And all of a sudden, I just had this new hunger for wanting to learn his word. And it just, it, it just changed my whole life, absolutely changed my life. But it, it really was just coming right back to a focus on the gospel, um, that this is what he had done for me. And I'm just like, I just want to know him more <laughs> at the end of the day is what it came down to. Um, so, well, let's go to uh, page four here. This one's pretty quick. I just want to, I want to basically say this. Um, you know, once you've kind of identified the people that you are going to be discipling and that you have the goals set out, you have a, a strategy in place this is hard work. <laughs> this is really hard work. Um, it takes time. So you need to be prepared to surrender large quantities of time to this work. Um, here's the thing with this. Um, so discipleship never ends at the end of the day. You know, it's not something where you can just kind of turn it off in your mind and, or you can, um, you know, hang up your phone and think, okay, well, yeah, no one's going to call me, things like that, because they can call you. You're, the people that you're discipling can call you anytime. Um, I'll tell you a story about when I didn't do this very well. So I had a guy that uh, I was in Tucson that I was discipling, and he uh, was on my worship team. He played guitar, um, and we uh, became pretty good friends, and, and he, was a, he worked for the Border Patrol out there in Tucson. So um, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. So middle of the night, literally 3 a.m. type of a, a situation. He calls me, and I woke up, and I saw the phone ringing, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's 3 a.m. I can't handle this right now. And I, and I clicked the phone off it, and I let it go to voicemail. I woke up the next morning, I listened to the voicemail, and he's, he's on the phone, and he's crying. And I was like, oh man, I screwed up. And, uh, and, I, and I listened to what was going on, and, and he he went to a, he got a call. He went to a site where there was uh, a bunch of people who were trying to cross the border and the border patrol saw them, started chasing after them. So they went on a high, high speed chase. And the, the van, they tried to take an exit and they took it too fast. The van ended up rolling over, big accident, all this stuff. When he got to the scene, there was like 20 people that were crammed into this van and the majority of them were injured or dead. And he was, I mean, he was taking care of the scene and stuff like that. But he, af after everything was done, he was just like, I don't know what to do. And I blew it because I was not, I didn't answer the phone, you know. And, and, uh, and it, him and I, you know, we, we were able to talk later and talk about it and stuff like that. But what it, what it taught me was I want the people that I'm discipling to know you know, you can call me anytime and I'm going to answer the phone. So like on my iPhone, I have it set where, you know, the ones that are in your favorites, you know, those are the ones that, that can get through at night and stuff like that. So I'm like, I make sure that my D group people, they're all in there, you know, and, and people, there's, there's people on staff that I'm like, you guys can get through in the you know, middle of the night. Um, so it's stuff like that. Um, so it takes time. It's costly. 
Um, I think it takes study as well. Um, R.C. Sproul said it this way, uh, that, that Christianity at its core is a knowledge tradition. It's a knowledge tradition. Okay? And what, 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 I, what, I mean, what I meant by that was there is a tradition of passing down knowledge from one person to another. And God uses that knowledge in order to transform people. Okay? So in order for us to do a good job of passing down this knowledge from one person to another, that means we better know what we're talking about, you know? Um, so I, I, I really want to encourage you, and it, it looks a little intimidating the way I put it in there, but commit yourself to become an expert in the scriptures. Um, do the best that you can to, to study, read good books, listen to podcasts, um, make time in your life to be good at this um, and, and to study these things. Um, so, so that's, that's the second one. Uh, the third one is prayer, of course. Uh, God uses our prayer in order to bring about his purposes, in order to accomplish his will. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I just, I think that spiritual growth, first and foremost, is going to be a work of God. It's not something that, again, it, it really has very little to do with us. It's a work of God in that person's life. And so uh, Colossians 1 says this. I, I love that here the Apostle Paul, he prays for this, for, these, for this Colossian church, these people that he's never met. He's seen their good works. He's seen their love for one another. And this is what he prays. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. He's praying for knowledge. He's praying for the knowledge of, of the will of God that that then would produce all this other stuff in his life, in their lives. So be committed to pray for those that you're discipling. Um, the last thing is self-sacrifice. Um, training others is a act of self-sacrifice in ways that um, sometimes we don't even realize. And I think that in order to do this well, you're going to need patience, of course. Um, there are going to come times when the person that you're training is not responding to what you're teaching, is um, you meet up with their pride, you meet up with, <laughs> with uh, their own sin, and those are really difficult times. I, I will admit, I struggle. <laughs> I really struggle in those times when I meet with someone multiple times and, and it's the same pride, it's the same sin, it's the same stuff. And I'm like, dude, why don't you get it? Like, <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute. It's because there's sin, just like in, in me. And I don't get it sometimes too. And I'm sure that God has thought that about me as well at times. But we need to have some patience as we're going into this. Um, I think we need to have humility as well. So it comes back to, to that as well. Being honest with each other that we have not arrived. Uh, we don't have all the answers and that's okay. Like we don't have to have the answers. If we're leading a small group, if we're talking to someone one-on-one, -on -one, if we're leading a large ministry, whatever it is, um, if someone's like, hey, what about this? and you don't know the answer, that's okay. Like, just admit that. So like, 
I don't know. But you know what? I'd love to find out. Let me help you find out. Let's, let's find some good answers for those things. Let's approach that with humility. Um, the last thing I, I put in here was, I think that the self-sacrifice means that we are, essentially, we are dying to this calling every day. Um, we're putting our life on hold. We're putting our life on the cross every single time that we make the choice to get out there and disciple people. Um, there are probably all sorts of other things that, that we could think of that would be, you know, more fun or <laughs> things like that. But we're like, you know what? My life is, is, can be much better used than, you know, rather than going to King's Island all the time or, <laughs> or, or do, you know, going to see movies all the time or, or things like that, satisfying my own desires, but I can be used by God in order to help other people to know him and love him. And so I'm going to sacrifice my life for those things. Um, so it's constantly doing that, going right back to putting ourselves on the cross. And of course, this is exactly what Christ did for us, right? I mean, this is exactly what he did. He was patient with us. He's, pa he's constantly patient with our sin, our disobedience um, over and over again. He, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, right? And he literally died. He literally died for this calling, placing the kingdom of God above all other things. He did that for us. So what are some next steps? Um, put this in the box here. So, you know, some of, some of you guys may be called to some individual discipleship opportunities, like, like Steve's mom. You know, that's, that's a fantastic thing that you're doing there. Uh, so cool. <laughs> uh, so in your sphere of influence, you may have people that have really popped up there that have said, you know, I, I need to minister to this person. I need to really start an intentional discipleship relationship with that person. Um, and that's great. Um, many of you guys are already serving in a, in a discipleship role here at church as well. And so, and you can see there's a bunch of different places that we have these types of discipleship um, opportunities in our church. And so, um, and so that's another place where we can start to really use these tools to, to start moving in that direction. Um, so, so far so good? Yeah? Cool. Um, I, I skipped one thing. Back on page four, I did want to point you to this um, additional resources that are on here. Um, so the last leadership lab that we had was with Dr. Brian Chapel, and we got to record uh, a preaching seminar, preaching a conference, and the leadership lab that he did, and we have it all available for you on our website. So if you would like to listen back to that, and even the note sheet is there. So if you'd like to go back and listen to any of that, that is a fantastic resource if you want to learn a little bit more about how to find Christ in the Old Testament. Okay, if you want to start working on that. Um, actually, about it's, it's helping you to focus on this, finding the gospel and the finished work of Christ in the Old Testament. These books are really good as well. So Brian Chappell, obviously, he's got a book on this, okay, uh, christ Center Preaching. He also recommended a book called Preaching from the Old Testament by Sidney Gradanis. Um, I started reading through that a little bit. It's a little bit heady. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit up here, but, um, but also really, really good. Um, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture is, is a really good book in that, uh, on that topic as well, because what he's doing, uh, it's, a, it's a culmination of different essays, 
all put together. And, um, and it comes from some different angles of how to find Christ in all of scripture. And Show Them Jesus is a really great version of that as well um, that we use here with our children's ministry and student ministry leadership training. Yeah. Um, and uh, it just really helps to paint just a really good, simple picture of like why this is important and how we can start to do that. So that might be a great one. If you're like, okay, I need the beginner version of this, then that might be a good place to start. <laughs> it's really good. So, um, and then also these are some, some podcasts that I really like that kind of help with this whole idea of teaching uh, the gospel, teaching Christ's finished work from all of scripture. Those two podcasts are really good that help with that. So.